today, um, thank you, Charles, for being here. I want him to be able to share his story, and he is a great storyteller. So um, I'm just here to make sure we stay on time and make sure we get through so that you guys can um, can receive what he has to share with you. Um, 2009, you graduated from Covenant Day. Congratulations. He made it, yeah. So he is sort of coming home today um, and sharing with you guys um, a little bit about his journey, which has been hard and difficult, um, but the Lord's been faithful. So why don't we start, and I know we've got a couple slides, but why don't we start with you, Charles, just tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, um, can you all hear me? All right, so yeah, she said I graduated 2009 um, from Covenant Bay, um, grew up in Myers Park area, and Christian home, um, if I needed something, I got it, so life wasn't difficult, um, but 2012, it kind of made a change, um, and that's kind of when I began to spiral downwards, um, so I'm going to start with reading something that I wrote um, two months prior to a wake-up call, or the wake-up call that I had, um, and that wake-up call was two years ago, um, this past Monday, that was the anniversary, um, and it's just titled Phone Calls. Um, I wrote this in a treatment center uh, in Nunley, Tennessee, which is like 45 minutes outside of Nashville, and it's from the perspective of my mom's cell phone, um, but it's titled Phone Calls, and I wrote it two months prior to the wake-up call. Um, ring, ring. Hello? Hey, it's me again. Is he okay? We need you to come identify the body. Why? What happened? No, no. I've been fearing this call. He didn't even make it to 30 years old. Dialing and then my phone number. Ring, ring. Hey, it's Charles. Can't come to the phone right now. Leave a message at the beep and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks, and have a great day. Hi, it's your mom. Just got a call to come identify your body and can't believe this day I feared has actually come. I pray this is a dream and I wake up from this nightmare. Why are you gone? What, um, what happened? What could I have done? I can't handle this pain and didn't know you had all this pain and suffering. Why couldn't you talk to me? Where did I go wrong? I can't hold and touch you. No more hugs or kisses. I don't have to dread this phone call I just got. No mother should have to go through this. So many calls from hospital, cops, jails, and this call I hope I can recover from. You're my firstborn, oldest leader, and now you're gone. I don't get to have tears of joy when you find the girl to marry and walk down the aisle. Be there to hold your firstborn. Why couldn't I outlive you? What could I have done differently? Why did I have to get this call I've been dreading? This shouldn't happen to a mother. Just know you're loved and we're the best son a mom could ask for. Rest in peace and I'll see you in heaven. Just know you weren't a burden and it was a joy to be your mother. Beep and the phone clicks. So I wrote that uh, two months prior to waking up off life support after uh, overdose and dying, um, drug overdose. Um, I was found on 
uh, Selwyn and Queens Road West um, on the sidewalk early in the morning by a fire truck that was just passing by. Um, no one had even called on me. Um, so I'd been on my last bender that uh, night before and uh, my drug of choice was cocaine um, and even got into, into doing uh, snorting meth. Um, started with Adderall um, in college, um, which helped me academically, but then I would use it on the weekends and then I would mix in Adderall, Coke, and um, to just stay awake and party and numb a lot of trauma and emotions that I'd never dealt with. Um, and so, Fire truck finds me on the side uh, sidewalk early one Saturday morning. Um, again, that was two years ago this past Monday is when I was found. Um, and then woke up two days later um, off life support and uh, had found out that I had died from an overdose. And that was something I said would never happen because I didn't do heroin um, in all the treatment centers I'd been in. People were dying from heroin or fentanyl. Um, but I had never heard of anyone, you know, dying from cocaine or, um, so I didn't think it would happen to me. I felt invincible and found out I wasn't invincible when I woke up um, off life support with a ventilator in and looked over to my left and saw my dad and he told me, you overdosed and died. And then my heart sank because two things I said would never happen to me happened to me in two month span, um, facing a lengthy prison sentence and then overdosed and died. So two things I said wouldn't happen to me happened to me. Um, but that's the rock bottom that I needed um, to get my life on track. And um, it's been a journey these last two years, but um, you know I wouldn't change it. Um, I went through a lot, but it's made me um, into the man I am today. Um, so I'm here just to share my story in hopes that it'll help y'all and prevent y'all maybe from going down the dark path that I went just to um, really realize how important and valuable life is and you're not promised uh, the next moment. Thanks, Chad. I think that um, if you think back to high school, um, can you remember back to middle school and high school when you first came to Covenant Day and maybe tell us a little bit about your journey through high school and college? Yeah, uh, so I came here in 2003, um, 2003 um, 7th grade. I transferred from public school to Covenant Day. I was kind of looking around at all the private schools and decided on Covenant Day. Um, they were beginning to grow um, and couldn't imagine uh, Covenant Day then what it is now. I uh, wish I had gone to Covenant Day um, with all the buildings and things that y'all have, but came here in seventh grade, and that year my grandfather died um, unexpectedly. So that was a tough year, but being here in a smaller um, atmosphere, um, you know, friend group that I had um, gotten to know um, really helped me through that difficult time. Um, and Covenant Day was, for me, academically very challenging compared to public school. Um, I didn't excel, struggled. And so that's kind of when I began to compare myself to 
my other peers and just people in the community. Um, never took an honors class here at Covenant Day, even though I wanted to. Uh, they didn't think I was um, ready for that, and rightfully so. But um, so that's kind of where my um, struggles began, just comparing myself to everybody else and began feeling less than um, everyone else. And that just took a toll going out or going on through middle school, high school. You know, I excelled at basketball, sports, socially, didn't struggle there. Um, applying to college, I. Um, Applied to five schools and got into Gardner-Webb by the grace of God. Um, went there for a year and decided that wasn't the college experience I wanted. It was a small, one-stoplight town. And so I applied to, or to transfer and went to Appalachian and had a blast there. Um, somehow graduated. But that's where my partying really took off. I mean, it started in high school a little bit, um, but an app excelled. And then 2012 um, is where my story kind of takes a downward spiral. Close family friend um, in the Charlotte community. Their son um, was killed tragically at uh, Chapel Hill. Um, case is cold, but they believe it was a hazing incident. Alcohol was involved, and he was found at a concrete mixing plant um, in Carborough, the town over. And family I'd grown up with, we had done beach trips together, and I wake up one um, Sunday morning, and it was on my sister's birthday, was the exact date. and. That was a, a tough morning, um, and I didn't know how to deal with that loss and just all the emotions that were, you know, hitting me at once. And um, it was tough. Um, I was a senior at App. Um, was going to have to stay an extra semester, um, but I knew how I could numb pain, and so the parting just it went to another level. Um, drugs. Um, you know, were rampant, um, drinking, and um, kind of just forgot about school. Um, again, struggling in school. Graduated somehow, like I said, with a 2.54. Um, was told I just need to get a piece of paper. Didn't know what I wanted to do um, afterwards, and so I just got a degree, the easiest one, and that would get me out um, quickest. Um, I was told, you know, you're outgoing, social, sales will be good for you. So that's just what I banked on. Um, but that death really took a toll, as I said. Um, and post-graduating from App, came back to Charlotte, and uh, that pain was still there. I never dealt with it. Um, and a lot of other things had began to um, happen in my life. Um, deaths of friends, um, legal trouble began, um, and then relationships failed. Um, jobs, you know, let go. So again, going back to seventh grade when I struggled academically and compared myself to my other peers and was falling behind and just viewing myself as a failure. It's from seventh grade, now I'm out of college, still feeling like a failure. You had drugs, drinking, and didn't love myself, so I didn't see how someone else could love me. Um, and when I was in a relationship, I was codependent. Since I didn't love myself and I saw or felt love from a girl, you know, and then when we would break up because of my addiction, um, 
it would crush me because I was codependent and I wasn't true to who I was. Whatever I thought she wanted me to be, whatever I thought she needed me to be is who I became. So I, over these, you know, since 2012 and post-college going on, never really knew who I was, wasn't true to myself. And that took a huge toll. Um, again, legal troubles and then um, in 2015, uh, suicidal ideation became um, a big part of my story. And um, 2016 was my first time in a psych ward. Um, and it was due to a relationship. Um, a guy who was from her past sent me a message and I lost it. And I um, ended up in the psych ward later that day from a panic attack um, due to an event that happened, left work. And that night was in the psych ward for the first time. Um, talked my way out of the psych ward the next day. And uh, later that year, a um, couple months later, I was in my first treatment program, uh, Dilworth Center, um, which is over near the Park Road Shopping Center, outpatient treatment center. And I was there seven weeks before I said, I don't need this, I'm good. And I left the program. Um, and back up prior, 2015 was um, the first major arrest that I had had, I guess, here in Charlotte. I think we've got um, yeah. some slides that, that was, you yeah. That's one of the, that's the first arrest. I got arrested once in college, but it was a just sight and release. I never got taken down to jail, but that was the first arrest. Um, you know, and then most of my arrests were due to fighting because again, I had a lot of emotions that I had never dealt with. Trauma. Yeah, that's the next one. Two thousand sixteen. Um, and then there's one more that was my last one when I was facing some prison time. Um, and I'll talk about that um, in a little bit. But at that point in that picture, I was ready to face prison. I, that's what I believed I was destined for it was prison or uh, death um, just because of who I was associating with, the mindset that I had been telling myself over these years starting again in seventh grade and just continued um, through high school, college, post-college, and then up to that point. Um, but um, yeah, so... Um, 2015, again, psych war, or first arrest, psych war 2016, and then Dilworth Center. Was there seven weeks, and did you have the option to go to the Dilworth Center, or was oh, family, yeah, friends, yeah, community? That like is a part. Um, so I was told that you know maybe going to a treatment center would be good, and my family had put people in my life uh, life to kind of mentor me and be like, hey, maybe you should go to a treatment center or a program. And I was like, I don't need that, I'm good. Because um, I didn't want to seem weak or like a failure. So I wanted girls to love me and guys to fear me. I didn't want to be pushed around and I built up a wall so no one could get to know me um, and get close and know the real me and know how broken I was. Um, so family suggested um, Dilworth Center. Part of me was like, yes, I need to go, I wanna go. But majority was like, uh, no, I don't need to go, but I'm gonna go just to get them off my back. Um, Cause I didn't wanna be pressured or hear them talking about, you know, my struggles. Cause I didn't think I had any struggles. 
Um, so seven weeks I'm there, and one of the counselors there, um, you know, he said, if you go back out, the twofold hits harder. Um, each time you go back out. And so a few months later, get arrested again um, for fighting, um, resisting, drunk in public, uh, disorderly conduct. Um, and then, um, and that's the end of 2016. 2017, um, and again, I've been struggling work-wise. Um, you know, can't really keep a job more than a year. Don't know my purpose in life, so I'm wandering through life trying to find purpose. I have all this trauma I've never dealt with. Um, you know, I'm comparing myself to my peers, people I grew up with, um, and just being in the Myers Park, South Park area growing up. Um, you know, and it's a, you know, there's a lot of money there, and I have no purpose, can't keep a job. Like, how am I gonna, how are people gonna view me? And 2017, um, I get a job that I believe people will recognize a title and start to, okay, he's starting to make it. Um, and it's at Premier in Ballantyne, and I, um, I really like it, and I think it's going to be a career. And um, later on, I kind of just bury myself into work. Still haven't dealt with any of the trauma, and the job just consumed me. I was able to um, just bury myself into the work and not have to deal with any of the trauma. It was an escape, so it became an addiction. Because an addiction doesn't have to be just drugs, alcohol, porn. It can be something that's even viewed as good but it's something that you use as an escape. So I use work as an escape and it became an addiction. And again, drugs are still a part of my life. Um, so I'm using Adderall and at this point in my life, probably 200 milligrams of Adderall maybe a day. Um, popping Adderall, just like breath mints to stay awake. Um, mixing in cocaine and if I ever run out of drugs, I'm drinking pre-workout to stay awake. So I'm awake for two to three days straight at a time, just working um, and I hit psychosis. Um, I'm in psychosis for six months probably. So I'm seeing, hearing things and towards the end of it, I get uh, very paranoid and um, Again, suicide has been um, on my mind um, always, and it's even heightened at this point. So to back up a little bit, I had um, first suicide attempt was 2016. Um, the second one was um, 2000. Uh, there was one that I don't really remember, but it was in 2016, 17. Um, again, then 2019 was... Um, the day that I end up in the psych ward and then a year long of treatment centers because that psychosis was shutting my body down. Um, and this, looking back now, I'm able to see how God was there the whole time in my story. Um, so this day is January 2019, early January. I leave work during lunch, broken down, feel my body shutting down, and I'm driving to my house to go sh get my gun to go shoot myself and pull up to the house and at this point, um, I was living in South End Uptown, move um, out to a buddy's house just to get away from the noise. And if something was going on at the house, he would always tell me, hey, we got this going on just to let you know. He didn't tell me that. So I pull up to the house to go in to get my gun to go take my life because I just can't take it anymore. 
Um, I was at the end of my ropes with my life and I was tired of being a disappointment, a burden on everyone. And I just didn't see how life could get any better. So pull up to the house, his mom and the appraiser were at the house. So obviously I can't go in and get the gun to go take my life. Um, so I'm able to look back now and say, you know, God was there and it's like, you have purpose. Even though I didn't see it, I was able, you know, I couldn't do it. So I'm able to look back now and know that I have purpose. So I leave work, go back, or I leave the house, go back to work, and um, which is amazing that I'm able to go back to work after literally about to go take my life um, and have a meeting with my manager. And it's a very intense meeting. Um, I'm very paranoid at this point because of the psychosis. Um, again, not sleeping every two to three days, and then I'm sleeping a few hours. Um, and then repeat. Um, so paranoid that I record the conversation with my manager, and um, it's a very intense meeting, toxic relationship, and um, I have a therapy session later that evening. I play the first 10, 15 seconds of that recording and just lose it. Um, go to therapy, calm down, go home. Um, and as I'm falling asleep, the paranoia just takes a turn to where I think everyone's out to get me. They're trying to kill me. Even my parents, I don't believe that it's really them. The only person I trust is my roommate. So I end up in the psych ward that night, and it was an ordeal to get me there. I jump out of the car while it's moving, take off in the neighborhood. Eventually, they get me to the hospital. And then I end up a few days later after getting out of the psych ward at Hopeway here in Charlotte, mental health treatment center. So that was the first um, time that I was ready and willing to go to a treatment center for mental health. But still, I didn't have an addiction problem in my mind. What about like parents and friends who are trying to intervene and, and help you? Are you just isolating from them throughout this? Yeah, I'm isolating. Um, on the weekends, a lot of times I'm locked up in my room. It's dark, moving on. Um, or I'm at work, you know, I even brought a TV, you know, I would just stay at work for two, three days at a time. We had a shower, gym there and stuff. So um, isolating family events, I might come late, you know, or I might just not show up at all. And they had kind of gotten used to it, um, but they were very concerned and worried and trying to pour into me and help me through this, but I just didn't want to hear it at all because I didn't think I had a problem. If I recall, you went to a treatment center in Chattanooga, is that right? Yep, so um, started off at Hopeway here in Charlotte, um, left there, sent to the psych ward. Down in Oxford, Mississippi, is that two places there, kicked out, sent to a halfway house in Memphis. Um, and that's, I got my car sent down there. Um, and I was roaming the streets of Memphis while in a halfway house, getting drug tested every other day. So I couldn't do drugs or drink. Um, and there was a smoke shop down the street. So I would drive there every night and do 50 to 100 whippets a night. Um, just so I could escape all that I was dealing with. Still very suicidal. Um, and in this halfway house, I have roommates that are, you know, shooting up heroin, getting arrested, getting out the next day, coming back, selling ice on the street in Memphis. 
it just wasn't a healthy place for me to be. Um, so I get uh, kicked out of there, the halfway house eventually, um, and then psych ward. And at this point, my parents are like, we're just at our the end with this. Like we spend all this money on treatments. Um, nothing's really working. Um, so I hear about this program in Chattanooga, Tennessee called Renew Ministries. It's through a church. Calvary Chapel, uh, free ministry or free uh, program. Um, it's a year long. So you have six months on a farm where you're working a farm and then uh, six months in the downtown phase. Um, and at this point prior to going, I was on 15 pills four times a day, not by choice, but if you go to one treatment program, they put you on medicine, you go to the next, they'll take you off one or two and then put you on four or five and before you know it, you're, you know, it's a full-time job just keeping up with all the meds you got to take. And you're a zombie. You're not who you really are. Um, so I get to psych ward. They take me off um, meds because they don't have my records um, and put me on new ones, take me off of stuff I need to be weaned off of. So combustion happens in my stomach. And if you've ever had hiccups, they're not fun. Well, I had hiccups for 12 days. I was throwing up blood. I couldn't eat. Um, if I'm sleeping, people said I was snoring and hiccuping. It just, it was an awful 12 days. Um, so I'm at the farm for five days before they kick me off and said, this isn't a medical facility. This is a working farm. So again, I'm like, I'm a failure. But also, I'm like, well, this is an opportunity for me to go home. I can finally go home. I don't. I get sent to the downtown um, phase of the program because my family's like, you're not coming home. You're not ready. And go to the downtown phase. I'm there for five months before I get kicked off or kicked out of the program. And I wasn't. I made it known that I didn't want to be there. Um, and. One of the, re the reason I got kicked out of this one, the other ones were a lot were fighting, um, you know, and I kind of at this point knew the system prior. So while I was feeling suicidal, I at certain points I wouldn't have taken my life, but I knew it would get me out of that program and I have to go to a psych ward for, you know, five, ten days and I'd go to another program. Um, but I snuck out and went to a Dave Chappelle show in downtown um, Chattanooga. And then a week later, so that they weren't happy with that. Um, and then a week later, an incident happened and um, they were like, we, it's time for you to go. So it was a blessing. So I come back to Charlotte, end of 2019, um, hadn't dealt with any of the emotions and trauma that I had been stuffing down for years. Um, I began a new job, um, something that's stress-free, something I don't have to take home after work. I can just leave it there. Um, it's outdoors, so I do commercial land surveying um, when I get back and going real good. In April of 20, I move in with an old roommate, and he's younger than me, but he was almost like a father and would get on me um, when I would do certain things. Um, I mean, because there's times when we lived together, I would have homeless people, crackheads in our apartment doing drugs on a Sunday morning. Um, just not an environment that you want to be living in. Um, so living with someone in addiction is very tough. 
Um, and he's going to come, I have a podcast, and he's going to come on and talk about kind of living with someone in addiction the end of um, May. And I'll talk about the podcast in a little bit. But, um, yeah, so I get connected with some people um, in the streets. Then through them, get connected with more people. And so before you know it, I'm in certain parts of Charlotte that you see on the news where a lot of murders happen, gang violence. So I'm from Myers Park area, went to Covenant Day, Christian home, but I'm over in, on Milton Road, Nations Ford, West Charlotte, selling drugs, running with gang members, um, carrying a gun. You know, that's not what God intended, how I was raised, but I viewed myself as less than. And over time, with all this trauma that I never unpacked, my life became that. Um, so fast forward uh, to February 2021, an incident happened um, where I had a tattoo shop. I was on drugs again, hadn't slept and um, thought I was getting robbed and stabbed and react accordingly, um, run across the street to flee and get hit by a car on Central Avenue. Um, a week later, I get COVID. And so very depressed at this point. Um, have, and at this point, do you have any communication with your family? No, no communication at all. Um, they picked me up from the hospital after I got hit by the car. I was trying to walk home because um, I didn't want anyone to know what had happened. Not because of getting hit by a car, I just didn't want to seem weak. Um, again, I did, didn't want to let people in and know how broken I was. Um, they pick me up and drop me off at home. We don't talk. Um, I get COVID a week later, so I'm by myself and just getting high in the apartment by myself. Depression um, is just getting worse. Suicide thoughts getting worse. Um, so I reach out to Hopeway again, and they say, we're not going to take you back, but here's a place in Nunley, Tennessee, outside of Nashville, about 45 minutes, called The Ranch. And that's where you wrote? Yep. That's where I wrote uh, phone calls. Um, and it just popped in my head. And even after writing that, you know, I read it, was crying. All the guys um, in the program were crying. And I wasn't someone who showed emotion, but I broke down. Because in the moment, I knew the reality. But after that moment passed, I, you know, I still thought I was invincible. So I complete the program. And within an hour of getting out, I'm arrested on felony charges. Um, and that's that picture right there. Um, get arrested for burglary, possession, paraphernalia, a list of other stuff. And there was another uh, individual involved, a guy. And uh, by the grace of God, he showed me mercy and grace and didn't press charges on me. Because um, if he had, it would have been, you know, assault, a deadly weapon, just a list of other charges. Because um, I was paranoid. And at that time, through my paranoia, I thought he was Satan. Um, whenever I would get paranoid, it was always a spiritual battle. Um, and so, pulled a gun on him, beat him up. He had to go to the hospital. But for some reason, grace of God, he didn't press charges. Because if he had, it would have been a 
plea deal for less time, not a plea deal to get out on probation and a lesser charge to plead guilty to. Um, so I get released the day before my 30th birthday. I'm like, all right, you know, I know what I got to do now. As um, I began at the ranch to learn what acceptance was, um, and then in jail, I really had to, you know, I really learned what acceptance was, having to accept the fact I was in jail. I couldn't undo it. I couldn't leave, and I had to trust that my family was going to take care of my affairs on the outside. Um, so once I get out, I'm like, I know what I need to do. But again, drugs, in my mind, weren't an issue. never had any consequences. And 24 days later, um, I go on my last bender. Um, so I um, play golf earlier that day and uh, begin drinking, um, meet up with some people that I used to run with, um, get high. Then I go to a group of friends' house and um, begin partying. A bag comes out. For me, it was never one bump, one line. It was I'm going until my body physically can't do another line or bump, and I'm shaking. Um, I remember the next morning, the sun's coming up. I'm sitting on the top um, steps of the condo, and that's the last thing I remember. And next thing I remember waking up off life support, the ventilator, and looking to my left, and my dad is there telling me I died from an overdose and I shouldn't be here. Um, and another God moment, looking back, God, part of my story, um, the fire truck, as I mentioned in the beginning, no one called you know, 911 on me. They were passing, going back to the firehouse and saw me on the sidewalk. Um, I didn't have any ID, I didn't have a phone, I had nothing on me. Um, and they throw me in the fire truck, take me in the fire truck to the hospital. Um, I get admitted, my name's Epsilon 9 since I don't have any ID. And another God moment, one of my good friends, his sister was the admitting nurse and was able to identify my body and um, was able to get in touch with my sister, Laura Beth, who graduated from Covenant Day in 2012. Her and my dad were at um, the beach house and um, said, you need to come back. Um, he's on life support. Um, come say your goodbyes. And um, she calls my mom, lets her know. Uh, my mom's in Charlotte. And my mom is like, well, I guess this is the phone call that uh, we've been fearing, but we finally got it. Because they had been waiting for this phone call. Um, and that's the picture of your mom. Yep, and that's my mom um, looking over my body. And that picture wasn't taken to you know, glorify the moment or anything. It was taken in hopes if I did come off of life support just to see how serious my addiction had gotten and how close I was to death. You know, I did die. Um, so that picture was taken in hopes for me to realize how serious it had gotten. And again, that was two years ago, this past Monday. Um, and so... Which which also marks your sobriety, right? Yep, two-year um, sobriety. Um, and But I wake up, I woke up, and once I find out what had happened, I realized I got to make a change or I'm not going to be here. You know, by the time I get out of the hospital, I'm going to go back to using and... I'm going to be dead the next time I use. Um, 
And so in that moment, I know I need to make a change, but it doesn't happen just right then. I mean, the drug use stops right then, but I'm still going out partying, um, you know, still don't really love myself to where I do now. It's taken two years to get where I'm where I am now, but well give us some insight on that, Charles, like a snapshot of your life now and maybe what has helped you get to that point over the last couple of years. Um so again, Dilworth Center 2016 was where I first um, treatment center. I met my now roommate there. We reconnected in I think July, August of 21. He was going through some stuff and I was coming out of my last treatment program um, and we reconnected. Um, and I went to Honey Lake um, after that picture a couple months after. Um, and I knew all the material from a treatment program. It was the first Christian program I had been to, but it was where I was able to start unpacking a lot of the trauma over these last 10 years I had never dealt with. And the relationships um, of with the guys there that I had built. Um, there's five of us that are real close, and I even talked to two of them on my way over here. Um, and one of them even is back at the program now and was just proud of him, you know, for swallowing that pride and realizing he needs help, and he went back. Um, so it was encouraging to hear that he's back there because he knows he needs to be there. But we talk, you know, every day, every other day. But that's where I really began to start loving myself again. Um, and again, my family, the community. I went to Carmel Baptist growing up. Um, never gave up on me. They kept praying for me and sometimes loving me from afar. Tough love, but, um, you know, I think my family is here today um, somewhere. So there's always... You're right back there. Yeah, right there. So just always supporting me, loving me, and um, just never giving up on me. Um, so that's um, that played a big part in my recovery. Um, and my roommate, KC, now roommate, um, in October of 21, we started a podcast called The Rabbit Hole Show, um, just dealing with mental health, addiction, because um, all of y'all have a story, all of y'all have a struggle, struggles, um, and you might feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. Um, I felt like I was alone in my struggles. Um, I didn't think anyone else was going through what I was going through. I would wake up, you know, on a Sunday morning just getting released from jail, and I would go to church pretending like nothing happened, um, get out of the hospital on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, and go to work and pretend like nothing happened. Um, that had become my norm. Um, and so I'm here just to share my story in hopes to prevent y'all from having to go through what I went through. But the reality is that some of y'all will go through what I went through, unfortunately, just statistically. Um, but, and I hope that none of this happens to y'all, but some of y'all might not even make that through the addiction. Um, you know, statistically, some of y'all will die. And that's hard to say, but that's just reality. So I like sharing my story because I was given a second chance and I know I have purpose. And my purpose now is to just share my story in hopes that it prevents y'all having to go through what I went through. So the podcast um, 
we all have a story, we all have struggles, and the good news is we're not alone. It's kind of our slogan. But it's um, started out as me sharing my story because a lot of it had become public, and it was given, you know, a way for me to share my story. Um, and then it turned into having guests on and allowing guests to share their stories and struggles so that listeners can resonate with someone's story and know that they're not alone. Because it's all different types of stories. It's not just addiction or, um, I mean, most of it is dealing with mental health, but you know, I've had cancer patient, a girl with alopecia, um, addiction from greed, porn, drugs. Um, I've had a police officer on there, just all different types, a girl who was in sex trafficking. Um, so all different types where people can listen, resonate with the stories and just know that they're not alone. I know we're just about out of time. I want to make sure that we're able to end. It's, it's a lot to hear and a lot to process, but I think um, when someone's willing to be so vulnerable to share their story in hopes that other people don't have to go through those same things, or if you have family members or people that you interact with as you move on throughout life, like these are really important things to increase our awareness of it and to recognize that you could hear even in Charles's story, and he's got a lot more stories that I've heard as well, but um, that the, the Lord continued to pursue him and didn't give up on him in that way, and that he's here today, which is a miracle that you're here. Um, and I'm so proud of you for getting the help you needed for humbling yourself, you know, and drawing into your community to returning to your parents and your community. All of these things takes a lot of courage. Um, and I know that, you know, the battle's not over. Like you continue to live every day, you know, fighting against that in a way and that the Lord will continue to be with you. I wanted to say, here's the things I remembered about Charles in high school. He went by Chad. Um, he was a great basketball player. Um, he was pretty feisty on the court. Um, so that fighting doesn't surprise me, actually. Um, he also, I think, in the ninth grade, attended a summer police academy school. I was mentioning that to him. He's like, I forgot all about that. But he did. Um, I remember um, he went on a mission trip to Jamaica and came back and talked about that. Um, I also had remembered, I didn't mention this to you, I think this is true, that Christ Our Shepherd, which is within walking distance, used to go over and mentor a kid over there who was fourth or fifth grade. Yeah, and I would try and tutor him, but... That's all right. Yeah, I tried. You loved on him. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you loved on him. Um, yeah, just some of those things. And I, I distinctly remember, it might have been the very first Joy Prom. I don't know if any of you know what Joy Prom is, but Carmel Baptist, I think, started it, at least in our community. I think you attended that every year. Um, and while I'm sure that I didn't see it all with your sister, I liked how you treated your sister in high school. So these are the things that I thought of um, in regards to, to Chad. And his, his life um, took a really, really difficult turn. Um, and 10 years of addiction is a lot to overcome and even to survive. So I'm so grateful you're here to tell your story. 
in particular at the end of our week um, for care week. So knowing this is a lot, I mean, Chad's going to come over. I think he's going to brave some flick food and um, he's going to be up in the uh, guidance area. If any of you want to talk to him, uh, have questions for him, um, thank him. Um, he'll be up there, but I'm going to close in, in prayer um, to join me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for our students, for their lives, for the way in which you continue to draw us unto yourself. I pray that today, all the things that Charles has shared with us, that we would recognize that your story is always one of restoration. It's always one of redemption. You're always uh, pursuing us and loving us. So I thank you, Lord, for um, bringing light to these challenges through story. I thank you for the way that you have ultimately protected Charles, and now you have, um, you know, he's been looking for purpose, and that purpose is found in you and in the story that you've given him. So um, help him as he continues to, to share with others um, at the Charlotte Rescue Mission on his podcast. Um, in speaking engagements, would you use him, Lord, ultimately uh, to help others and to bring glory to you? We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.